KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Madeline Brand on KCRW. It's time for your weekend film reviews, and we have another video game inspired action flick, and of course, Liam Neeson doing what he does best playing a mad dad protecting his family from evildoers. Joining us to discuss are two of our regular film critics on Press Play. Amy Nicholson is a film reviewer for the New York Times and also co-host of the podcast Unspooled. Hi, Amy. Hello. And William Bibiami is film critic for The Wrap and co-host of the critically acclaimed network. Hi there. Ahoy, ahoy. Ahoy, ahoy. Okay, let's talk about Gran Turismo based on a true story. That's the whole title. Not me just saying based on a true story. It's a racing movie based on the video game of the same name, starring David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, and Archie Mattacu. If you miss a line in the game, you reset. You miss it on the track, you could die. All you do is play video games with some crazy dreams of racing cars. Dad, you're the one that told us to always do something we love. You know what racing cars cost? Look around. It's not our world, son. All right. So this, I guess, it's in the title. Bibbs is based on a true story of a video gamer who then becomes a real-life race car driver. And? Uh, and then he does that. Uh, <laughs> Gran Turismo is, is, is a video game that is like hyper realistic uh they attempt to really uh accurately convey all the different subtleties involved in race car driving uh and as a result a lot of the people who play it you know kind of religiously are super into that and they had this idea to put together uh, a competition to get the best Gran Turismo players in the world uh together and whoever won that competition would get an opportunity to be a real race car driver that really happened the movie takes a lot of liberties with that story but generally speaking the gist of it is correct here's a guy he came from the outside he did this new sport uh and yeah he turned out to be pretty good good for him um so if you can get over uh the fact that this movie desperately wants you to buy a playstation and preferably a nissan uh which is all over every single Mm. frame of this thing you might you might enjoy it (laughs) Well, we just lived through Barbie, so we're all in the product placement world now. Amy, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the worst scripts I've ever endured about a genuinely cool story. I mean, the problem here is that the script just feels like a bunch of marketing guys underlined every scene and said, make it more obvious. You know, we're told like 900 times in the first hour that this game is so realistic that it's exactly like training on the actual track. And if you don't believe me in this scene, I'm going to say it again in the very next scene. Because of that, and because of the way it's put together, it's a little bit sloppy. Sometimes the aesthetics are very video gamey. There's bright words over the screen. But like, even though it's not a good movie, the individual performances in this are actually really good. But the heart of this movie is david harbour as this racing coach and i swear as dumb as the script was when harbour gives you a little bit of respect when you feel like you earned harbour's respect in this movie i i my heart warmed despite itself i mean he's really the engine of this film and even though i didn't respect the movie i respected him and his performance in it a ton of a lot okay gran turismo based on a true story we got that is in theaters in wide release beginning today. Next up, 
Speaking of cars, we have Retribution, another Liam Neeson starring action flick in which he has to save his children from a bomb threat. Hello, Matt. Sorry, who is this? There is a bomb under your seat. If you... Something's happened. There's a man who has put a bomb in the car. Under our seats, there are pressure triggers. We can't get out. The car will explode. Okay, so Neeson's dad character driving his kids to school. He gets a phone call. The person on the other end says if he stops the car, the bomb will detonate. Kind of like Keanu Reeves in Speed. Amy, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, the bomb has a lot of triggers on it. Different things that can trigger it. And one of the ones is also that if you shift the weight on your seat, like if he stands up at all, it's also ruined. Um, The Liam Neeson tough daddy here, he's, you might guess, he's in the key of this, a workaholic banker. This one lives in Berlin. Uh, His family is pretty much thinking he's inessential besides like raising money because he's just completely obsessed with work. And then the one day, the very one day that he actually has to drive his kids to school and like step up a little bit as a parent is the one day that a bomber puts bombs in their very nice luxury SUV where you can watch the news as you're driving around to get a sense of what's happening in the outside world. Um, There are 25 minutes of this movie that are actually really fun. The very beginning of the kids being in the car, because the first thing that this like unknown bad guy says on the phone is you've got to get your kids cell phones and the kids just lose their mind. And he doesn't want to tell them what's happening. And the kids refuse to give their dad the phone. And he has absolutely no authority in this car. And all of that is great. But once everybody snaps into line and they're like, "Okay, now we've really got to solve this bomb problem. The movie becomes so dumb. When the movie gets bad, it gets bad so fast. And the more people talk and explain why they're doing what they're doing, the more you're like, that's absolutely an idiotic plan. And everybody in this movie just comes across moronic. And it's it really, really breaks my heart to see Neeson commit to moronic lines. But he commits to these moronic lines very, very well. Also, he's 71 years old and he plays the dad of relatively young kids. Hmm. You know, you know. And he gets to open the movie beating up a boxing dummy. So you know that even though he's sitting down for the rest of the film, he could still beat you up if he was allowed to stand. (laughs) (laughs) Bibbs, what do you think? Uh, I think I'm starting to feel bad for Liam Neeson. Um, You know, Liam Neeson has become kind of the face of an entire genre. It's like if you think about a low budget or modestly budgeted thriller, you think of Liam Neeson. Uh, He's kind of like what Vincent Price was to horror movies, except Vincent Price had fun when he made horror movies, and Liam Neeson could not look more bored in this movie. I think it doesn't help that he spends the entire time sitting down. Like, it's just, it, it, it looks like the absolute cheapest least interesting thing we could get Liam Neeson to do this week. And uh, Amy's right, it's a very badly constructed screenplay. It's full of really obvious logical inconsistencies that make no sense whatsoever. And because most of the movie is Liam Neeson driving around thinking about what to do, you're thinking about what he could do as well, and you're probably coming up with better solutions than he is. And there's nothing more frustrating than watching a movie where characters, or in this case, at least the villain, is supposed to be super smart, and they're clearly not. So whereas something like Speed had this like adrenaline and wit to it where they could take this kind of concept and actually make it entertaining, even though it made no sense, here it makes no sense and we're bored. So why? Why bother? 
Oh, that makes me feel sad for the mad dad. I'm I'm upset too. Well, I keep yeah. wondering who's calling Liam Neeson on the phone and saying you have to do this movie or else. <laughs> uh, his bankers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like this movie, but inverted. That this feels like uh, Liam Neeson was free for a week, and he's like, "You can just spend the whole time in a car. It'll be a blue screen behind you. You don't have to work very hard." And he's like, "Okay, <laughs> sure, why not? I'm free next week." <laughs> Exactly. Ka-ching. Retribution in theaters in wide release. Next, we have a historical drama called Golda. This stars Helen Mirren as Golda Meir, who is Prime Minister of Israel during the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Our troops are outnumbered seven to one. If the Arabs reach Tel Aviv, Israel will be wiped off the map. All right, Amy, looking at the preview, Helen Mirren looks exactly like Golda Meir with the ever-present cigarette in her hand. How did she do portraying her? You know, I think that Helen Mirren actually did a pretty good job. And I'm glad that you straight up brought the cigarettes because that is one of the hardest things about playing Golda Meir, you know, who famously chain smoked so much that when Anne Bancroft tried to play her on Broadway in the 70s, they had to shut down the production because smoking all of those cigarettes gave Anne Bancroft bronchitis and she just couldn't get the role anymore. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But the focus of the story here is on the 1973 Yom Kippur War, which is a really polarizing war, I think, even inside of Israel. You know, this war was followed up by kind of a a commission looking into how the war wound up having such a high body count. And in the fallout of that body count, Golda Meir and a lot of her advisors stepped down. So what this film is really doing is kind of analyzing where this war went wrong and why so many people died. And I think it actually does, for a divisive topic, try to keep the focus on just how bad the body count was across all sides, across both sides of the battlefield. And it does that in a way where... Even though we're, say, like with Golda and her advisors, when they're massacring tons of Egyptian soldiers and they're clapping, the camera itself reacts by sort of swirling around almost like it's nauseous and it, it like it's mm. kind of sickened by everything that's happening. And so to tell this story in the way that the director does, I think he manages to find kind of like a very stern and kind of uncompromising morality about this whole situation that to me made this film really effective. The score is great. The sound design is great. And if the main goal of it is war is a nightmare and you don't want to be the person making the shots of this because it will cause you to chain smoke and possibly kill yourself in the stress of it all, that film really works on that level. And so I, I, I respect this film a lot, actually. Okay, Golda in theaters in wide release today. Last up, we have Bottoms, a comedy directed by Emma Seligman about two queer high school students who start a fight club so they can meet girls and possibly have sex before they graduate. Could the ugly, untalented gays please report to the principal's office? We were just practicing for a self-defense club. So it's like a fight club? Yes. Teach a bunch of girls how to defend themselves. They are grateful to us. Adrenaline is flowing. Next thing you know, Isabel and Brittany are kissing us on the mouth. All right, Bibbs, what did you think of this one? Oh, I love Bottoms very, very much. Um, this is a teen comedy, uh, and it, and I love that it doesn't take 
any of its cues from the John Hughes school. This is more of a savage Steve Holland, absolutely, you know, kind of ridiculous version of high school made by people who clearly thought very little of high school and want to tell you about it. Uh, it is, uh, it, as you said, it's about uh, two teen girls who start a fight club. Uh, ostensibly, it's about self-defense, but they know nothing about self-defense. And the class is ultimately about getting all the girls they can to wail on each other uh, in the hopes that this will improve their social <laughs> standing and get them the various hot girls that they're in love with. Um, but that's just part of it. It's also just this wonderful film about, uh, you know, girls who feel like they don't have uh, uh, anyone that they can talk to finding a place where they can in a very unexpected way that allows them to commit acts of increasingly horrifying violence throughout the movie. It's a movie that actually tackles, while it's being incredibly silly, serious topics that, honestly, you would think would have no place in a film like this, but somehow the film manages to understand that some of the serious topics that it addresses aren't funny, but people are. And they get away with it in a very admirable way. The cast is sparkling. Uh, in addition to uh, uh, the main uh, cast, uh, which is uh, Rachel Senat, Io Edabiri, Ruby Cruz, uh, and Havana Rose Liu, uh, there's a wonderful comic performance from Nicholas Galatine, who recently co-starred in the Amazon rom-com Red, White, and Royal Blue as a very straightforward, hunky rom-com protagonist. Here he is in complete doofus mode, and it feels like this is what he was born to do. I saw him do a violin duel in in uh, in a movie uh, years ago, and I was like, I want to see him do violin duels and be silly. And now he's doing playing the absolute like worst high school student ever, and he's hilarious. And Amy Emma Seligman wrote and directed a film before this called Shiva Baby. She's just twenty eight years old. So how did she do on this one? I mean, I think Emma Seligman is the real deal. Like her film that she had before this, Shiva Baby, which had Rachel Sennett starring in it. Now Rachel Sennett's co-writing this and starring in it. But that film is a masterpiece, like a very tiny, tense nightmare of a film. Wonderful. And this is just absolutely like the inverse in a way that's just like big and funny. It's really like a huge swing for the fences comedy. And I would say it's an imperfect movie that I highly recommend everybody see anyways. It has just tons of ideas scene to scene. And the ideas, I don't think, completely gel or add up to like any sort of a coherent thesis. But I was laughing at them individually, scene by scene. But the weird thing about it is that like every single scene in this movie is an inversion of a cliche, you know? But performance, performance, scene by scene really really just hilarious and i have to say marshawn lynch too also shows up in here you know the football player and he is laying i think the groundwork to become the next like terry cruz this is like his like terry cruz did idiocracy now i'm going to be the most idiotic high school teacher of all time and he's <laughs> incredibly funny and i'm also very much like like bibs on board with the nicholas galantine train i think that kid is definitely a rising star Bottoms is in select theaters beginning today. And that does it for this week. Amy Nicholson is film reviewer for The New York Times and co-host of the podcast Unspooled. And William Bibiani is film critic for The Wrap and co-host of the critically acclaimed network. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.
KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.